0: Thanks so much for having me. It's really good to be here. Um, I told Dad if he wanted me to preach uh, right away, I'll be frail. It's been a long three years, um, and there's been a lot that has gone on. So I just really appreciate you guys having me. It's going to be more of a talk, and even as I was sitting down thinking about what to share and how, I'm like, I can't even think about this without crying. So I don't know what I'm going to be able to share. (laughs) See, I, I knew I was encouraged when I saw you guys come in. I thought about making you guys in charge of my time, because I know you, you wouldn't care if I went for hours. Uh, everyone else can just deal with that. Uh, so anyway, thank you so much for having me. It is a blessing. Um, and, uh, you know, I was away for three years. We had our daughter uh, eight months ago. Um, yeah. So you can already tell I can't t- share much about that. It won't work. Um, but it's, it's been a blessing, it's been a challenge. The, the COVID restrictions in Hong Kong, are very, they're very cautious. It's a densely populated place, so I, I respect and understand it. Uh, I got no hate in my heart for uh, China and for how they're, they're handling uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I will say, I do need to be careful about what I say as it airs on Facebook. That's the kind of stuff that I have to think about uh, now. But I'll also say this, um, I'm, I'm allowed to be there legally. I've got a, a form from the Education Bureau it says uh, this person can only teach Bible at a the Christ, a Christian school uh, in, uh, in Hong Kong. It's just a complicated relationship between uh, the level of independence Hong Kong has and the, the level that is being challenged uh, by their owners, which is, which is the Chinese government. If you're interested in that uh, geopolitical quagmire, uh, feel free to research that on your own. I'd be happy to talk to you about it later, uh, but I don't want you to fall asleep right now, so we'll hold off. Uh, but it's something I have to pay attention to and my school leaders keep a pulse on. Um, uh, but as you shouldn't be too surprised to hear, there are good, godly, faithful Christian people all over the world in every context, um, in every situation you see on the news. Just know that there are Christians there. There are Christians in Russia. There are Christians, godly, faithful, evangelical Christians in Ukraine. Uh, there are Christians uh, dealing with the evils in the world in every context. And the context I'm in, I get to see it that uh, in an up-close, unique way. So I just want to share briefly about that uh, before we move into the text uh, that Dad assigned. I think he's giving me payback a little bit. You know, he's like, after nine years of marriage and three years out of Hong Kong, why don't you come talk about singleness? Uh, everybody's favorite topic set you up for a win here. Uh, and then yesterday, he's like, come with me into town. Uh, we'll take the convertible. And so now I look like a cooked lobster. Uh, it's payback. It's payback for keeping the granddaughter away for eight months. Uh, So, I'll I'll take my licks with joy. (laughs) Uh, In any case, uh, moved to Hong Kong three years ago. My wife and I were in South Korea before that. She had taught in South Korea before we met uh, in the West Coast. Um, My life journey is a meandering, wild set of logistics, so I won't bore you with that. Uh, But we met at a church plant in Portland, Oregon. Uh, We were in the South, uh, the South, the Northwest for a couple years uh, and then we moved. We've averaged a new apartment a year, so we're in our ninth. This will be the first time we haven't moved. Uh, thank thank God for our landlords, very uh, good, godly people. We found out uh, along the way, uh, Christians, uh, Chinese Christians, and um, and so we were in South Korea, and we we had this open door, uh, as sometimes happens, uh, that we weren't expecting. And uh, so we went to Hong Kong, and I teach. At at an international Christian school, I'm the department head for a Bible department, a team of six in the uh, middle and high school. It's got an American curriculum. Same accreditors as Woodford Christian School, the Association of Christian Schools International. And uh, so that's kind of our network. They also accredit schools in mainland China. So we talk to them a lot uh, to figure out all of the creative ways that we can keep doing what we're doing, even when we're not allowed to. Um, And so we're currently allowed to, but uh, so far uh, we have some sister schools in Hong Kong and some of them are dropping their religion or their Bible programs. And so to get ahead of some of the changes, we're the only one left, I think, that has a kind of a full-throated evangelical Bible curriculum. Uh, The makeup of our students has changed. The demographics in Hong Kong are changing fast. Pretty much anyone who can leave is, so all the rich people. Um, And so we're getting a lot of locals. who don't know English as well um, uh, and so I just want to share about the the blessing behind that and that's that my school decided to hire my wife um, she was teaching at a university she's a, a lecturer in English language uh, really really good at it And so she's coming to start the first kind of English as a second language program at our school. So we'll be on the same schedule for the first time in three years. She taught at Hong Kong university for the last, ever since we moved there. And just to give you a sense of how strict the COVID protocols were out of two years of full-time teaching, she was on campus for two weeks. Uh, the rest was online. And so uh, my school was going back and forth online and live. And I think we had 10 different schedule changes last year. Uh, so I've been, it's really a blessing not to have a mask on right now because it's still a mandate. You can get thrown in the slammer for not having a mask on in Hong Kong because they're so scared of, of COVID. And again, it's densely populated. So it's, it's not the same as, as here. Um, I understand it, even though it's perfectly annoying. Um, and uh, I feel like I'm able to breathe for the first time. <laughs> Uh, in a long time. Uh, and so I'm teaching Bible in a very straightforward, out-in-the-open way, but we do have a lot of students in, in class. It's about 50-50 that uh, come from Buddhist families or atheist families and then, and then a growing kind of minority of Christian families. And so you can imagine the situation. All right? I've, got, I've got quite a mix. And uh, by the grace of God, my student reviews have consistently been been high, um, uh, which does matter a lot in our context and, again, so many thoughts come to mind about what to share. I just want to share one kind of case study for you to kind of know our context and just how complicated it is. Um, some of the families are very influential, um, and some of them run companies that I can't legally invest in because of sanctions. So we get this sense of the complications. I've got a student in my class learning Bible and their parent, multi-billionaire tech firm run in mainland China. And... Uh, we're on different planets. You see what I mean? I'm I'm like, I'm from Kentucky, I don't understand this. Tech guru, Chinese billionaire. And one of their kids graduated and I tracked uh, one of them down. And I said, why do you send your kids to our school? And he said, this is the best experience that my kids could have. I don't know what his faith convictions are. He would never share that with me. Um, But that's the opportunity that we're trying to work with. Um, and so, and now my wife gets to come and participate. So as things change, uh, I just see opportunity. If they open up the border again and we get a lot of mainland students, I'm like, that's what I'm here for. I, I mean, I'm here for that challenge. I didn't come here for comfort. I didn't move across the world to be comfortable. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder why I feel that way. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's what God does. We all have our trench that we work in, and we all have it. And and so that's mine and my wife's. Um, and my colleagues, wonderful colleagues. My school has 1,200 kids, K through um, 12. A faculty of about, I think, 250. It's a big school. It's a well-respected school by the community. And so just pray for us. I guess that's why I'm sharing. Just continue to pray for us, please. Um, and I wanted to share kind of the the, the operating, the, the mode of operation I'm working under. I spend a lot of time in the prophets thinking about myself because of Kind of the devastating, the, the, the decline that the people in the city of Hong Kong are facing. And the prophet Jeremiah was in a season where Israel was going to decline. And kind of his mission was to tell the king, you're going to lose this one. And uh, it didn't go very well for him. And even his uh, secretary, a guy named Baruch. And this isn't the sermon, by the way. We haven't even started. Um, <laughs> his secretary... His secretary uh, his name was Baruch, and he, he, gets a, he gets a chapter dedicated to him, a short one, chapter 45, and, and he's so dismayed that he's been praying and kind of asking God, like, man, this ministry is terrible. It's horrible. I don't like it. Um, you know, here he's having to be the go-between between the, the God's true prophet and the king who's listening to hundreds of false prophets who are telling him everything's fine. And, uh, and there's some of that going on in Hong Kong. That's the way I feel in my heart, where people are like, you know, everything's fine. Uh, it's not a big deal. The fact that these things are happening. And I'm like, I just feel like that's naive. I get it. We all get there. there's in denial. But I said, I think you need to brace yourselves. Um, and so God speaks through Jeremiah uh, to Baruch in this chapter. And I take some comfort in what he says. And also in the fact that Baruch's kind of a secondhand man, he, he's, he's playing second fiddle to Jeremiah. It's easy to believe that he might be forgotten. In kind of the big picture that's playing out. And yet, God gives Jeremiah a word specifically for him. And so, if you feel forgotten, um, God, will, God will give you a word too. You're not forgotten. God sees you. And so, I share this with the Christian families I work with. Anyway, this is the chapter. I just want to read it and share briefly. So, this is what Jeremiah the prophet told Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. After Baruch had written on a scroll the words Jeremiah was then dictating, because he was his secretary, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, quote, woe to me. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out with groaning and find no rest. I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, I found no rest last night. Uh, The only thing harder than an eight-month-old is an eight-month-old with jet lag. So going on fumes Uh, The Lord said uh, to Jeremiah, say this to him, Baruch. This is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the land. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. So... That might not sound like an encouraging word, but it is to me. <laughs> Depends on your context, and not everybody's in the same season. But there is a there is a sense of a strong amount of change. You can you maybe feel it a little bit when the identity of your country is changing. I think we can all relate to that. But it's, sometimes it's more severe, and there's a long way to fall than others. And and Hong Kong has really faced that. And so my encouragement to my people. I also do youth ministry at a Chinese church that wanted a an English-speaking youth pastor. I'll leave that out for now. But I share this with them, too, um, that God has given us our life and our time. We may not seek the great things. We might not have, in their case, some of the freedoms that they were used to. That doesn't mean we can't do God's work and, and fulfill his kingdom and his purpose, and we'll keep doing it to the best of our ability. The last thing I'll share also from Jeremiah is kind of to explain kind of how I feel uh, about what we're doing because it has been a real challenge. Uh, I don't want to make light of that. As many, as much as it is a blessing, and as Dad shared, uh, I get prayer support from you guys. But um, you know, it's a it's a tuition based school. I get my wife and I get paid. We're taken care of. Hong Kong's the most expensive city in the world, uh, especially for expats. Uh, but our school subsidizes the things that we need. Um, I'm even able to. I'm doing a religion education uh, program that's recognized by. Hong Kong, so that it will help secure me if they start getting, uh, you know, choosy about who to let teach and who to let be there and who to give a visa to. Um, I'm able to to pay for that uh, on my own and do that just to kind of let you know some of what we're facing and how creative we're trying to be. Um, but it is a challenge, and I think about could we do something different frequently because it, it's it's been hard. But Jeremiah also shares this, and uh, it's Jeremiah 20 verses 7 through 9. And he's, he's upset. He hates what he's having to do. And he kind of shares this with God, but then he ends with why he's going to continue doing what he's been asked to do. And he, Jeremiah says this, maybe you can relate, all right? This might be, this is real talk is what we call it. Um, he says, oh, Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, uh, proclaiming violence and destruction, because that's what he said is going to come. Babylon is going to destroy Israel. It wasn't a popular message. Um, and he says, So the word has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him. He's talking about if I say I'm just going to stop talking about God. Or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed I cannot. And so, I mean, that is how I feel. Like, I'd love to do something else. Um, when Ashley and I met in Portland, I had found somehow, I well, went to seminary and Bible college, but I ended up being an account manager at a Bible software company, um, at a web design company, rather. Um, and you can do, make decent living doing that. Um, but the fire led me in a different direction, and we ended up in Asia. And for now, that's <laughs> where we'll be. Come what may, uh, and so uh, thank you for giving me the time to share some of that, um, and like I said, just keep you know, praying for us. There's a lot of good. There's a lot, a lot of good, uh, many, many good days, uh, but also many challenges. With that said, I'm going to pray again to transition myself, and then we have the continuing message uh, from the book of Corinthians, uh, and this week's focus is Paul dealing practically with uh, singleness. Singleness. And so let's, uh, let's pray, and then I'll, I'll continue on with that. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning, to return back to my roots. And uh, just thank you uh, for these people. Just ask you continue to bless them, help them be uh, uh, like the Jerusalem church, sending people out to all the Antiochs around the world, and continuing to be a light in a dark place. Uh, it was a blessing to see the ministry happening yesterday. Uh, with those in recovery and, and hearing about the, the other ministries happening here, uh, and that there is a bit of an anchor for the people here in the community, for those who've gone from here like myself. I just pray that you would continue to guide and bless them and be with us this morning as we reflect on your word and think about how Paul, under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, uh, wrote uh, to his people before all people and help us to learn and grow as we reflect on that. pray this in your son's name. Amen. Um, so as we think about Corinthians, I've listened to some of the messages. Uh, I think Dan and Dad have done a great job. It's been great to listen to those. As I thought about coming and sharing with you today, um, and uh, just the background of Corinth is is uh, a bit mesmerizing. Uh, I, again, I won't you know belabor it, but I, I get lost in those kind of things. You know, as a Bible teacher, you like to nerd out on all the archaeology and things like that. Uh, but one one thing I, that Stuck out as I was digging back into the background of Corinth is the thing that made it such a place of debauchery, kind of a very pagan forward place, is that it was uh, a place of, of commerce. It was a port city. And so um, there's a pastor uh, in, in New York who's big on urban church planting. And one of the things he said, Pastor Timothy Keller, Um, And one of the things he says is, you know, when you have lots of people in a densely populated area, you get all the benefits of lots of God's image bearers coming together and the creativity and the economy and things like that. And you get all the negatives of every kind of iteration of sin you can imagine. So the creativity is kind of going in both directions. And you find these amazing things are happening and these unbelievable depraved things are happening too. And Corinth embodied that. And so I can imagine Paul as he passed through there and planted there and met Priscilla and Aquila who were able to help him there. How excited he would have been with his wiring and with his gifting to say, we're going to have an outpost here, a very prominent one in this port city that has so much influence in the historic city. And as is so common, and it got me thinking about several places I've lived, um, the major depraved living had to do with sexual immorality. Um, things that anyone would say were wrong, what, no matter what their religious background, uh, but then specifically uh, things that uh, in, in the Christian um, worldview uh, would be even even more kind of focused on, you know, whenever you're teaching that uh, something like sexual appetites are something that you can exercise self-control over. That would have been crazy to the people in Corinth. Part of their public acts of worship would be to go to the temple of Aphrodite and find a prostitute and worship their God that way. And so to step in and and say that that that's wrong would have been, um, that would have been blasphemy to that culture. Um, And so when I I went to seminary, I went to a small uh, seminary in Ohio, in Finley, Ohio, and uh, we ended up planting a house church there and a, a state cop became a Christian and was baptized in our front yard. And It's one of those stories. Uh, this was like 2009 and uh, he started sharing with us oh we got a major sex trafficking problem through finley because of all the interstates and things through toledo and all this stuff i'm like what northwest ohio is like this uh hotbed of of you know sex trafficking i think that's somewhere close to where the the subway guy got in trouble and i was like here of all places you wouldn't imagine it of course when i was in the northwest in portland Um, talking to police officers we met from church there. Same story. Yeah, along the highways, there's all this trafficking. There's all this, um, you know, just open pursuit of sexual appetites in every iteration. And some of the people who came to Christ at the church that we were at there, um, I mean, their testimonies were amazing, but they were (laughs) unbelievable. Um, You know, prostitutes of of every kind of of background um, that you can imagine, thankfully, finding Christ. But just that people come together and find ways to pursue their sexual appetites in in these kind of animalistic ways. Um, And that's what Paul is dealing with. And his focus throughout the book is both the gospel, of course, but then it's also its implications in all these case-by-case situations. And and I think one thing that we can all feel, no matter where we are, and it's true in Hong Kong as, as it is in Kentucky, is that, you find such uh, fragmented identities, fragmented experiences, because people's inputs are now so fragmented. You know, Which TikTok channel are they listening to? You have no idea who their influence is. You know? uh, there's no longer just three channels, there's a billion. Um, and so to unpack where people are coming from and why they believe what they believe and why they think what they think and do what they do can take time. And so that's why Paul will sometimes say, I don't have a word from the Lord specifically on this. He's, he wants to be careful not to create a policy that does harm on a unique situation. He says, but I'm going to give some wisdom as someone you can trust on this case. And so he, he kind of does that. And what he's trying to tease out is, there's the gospel that Jesus died for your sin. You can come to him and be saved. But then when you work it out in your life and in practical ways in your community, um, it can take on a different flavor depending on the situation. And so I want to read through uh, this uh, couple passages here in Corinthians and just make some comments on his situation. Then I just want to make three simple points and then I'll I'll wrap it up. That's how I'm restraining myself this morning. (laughs) So he starts uh, dealing with singleness and that's what we're going to focus on. There's a lot of other things happening in this passage, but he starts in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 8 and 9. He just makes an introductory comment and he says, now to the unmarried and the widows I say... It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, one of the things I want to comment on is is just what a blessing it is that uh, you go to church and get such a forthright statement about. He's talking about burning with passion for sex, right? And I think, I mean, I meet, I mean, some of my students are totally unchurched or pre-churched, and you know, they hear me say things. I didn't know that religious people talked about things like this, I said, I'm just quoting the Bible. It talks about everything. You know, you thought Game of Thrones was interesting. You haven't read the Bible, okay? It's much more interesting. It gets, and it's safer and, and better and, and will lead you down a safer path. <laughs> because they watch everything. There's nothing off limits now. Um, and so that he is dealing with this reality straightforward and direct. And uh, I know it's true everywhere, but, but passivity takes on a, a special flavor in uh, what we can call Confucian cultures, this is you know, Korea, Japan, parts of China, and the way they they, they try to deal with problems. And, and there's uh, cultures are different and have their good and their bad. But they're, they like to go around problems. They don't like to be direct often. And so I wonder sometimes why God put me there because I'm not that way. <laughs> I'm very direct. Have you met my mom? I take I take my cues from her, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like. I'm going to go bull in a China shop uh, here in, in in China and, and just, uh, but God somehow uses it. You know, he, he I think Paul was like that. He, he didn't fit all these different contexts, but he blessed those people because he was kind of pierced through some of the, the sacred cows that would have prevented them from dealing with something. So I pray to God that's what I'm doing and not just, you know, being viewed as the American who has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, you know, abusing all of the social mores everywhere I go. Uh, but they say they love me, so I'll take it. I uh, take it as a blessing. And that's what Paul is doing here. Another thing I want to say before we continue is uh, how he creates this, this narrative that is lost today. And again, it's that not pursuing every sexual appetite is an option, at least for a season, potentially for a life. And we'll get into the context of Corinth, because it's clear throughout the Bible that marriage is, is somewhat of the goal. It doesn't mean it's true for everyone, but it's certainly not something that uh, we, we throw off as something gross uh, that we wouldn't pursue, as some religious communities have tried to do. I mean, even think about the Shaker Village, not too far away. They kind of you know, taught themselves out of existence because they said you can't marry, can't have sex, and they died out. Uh, and so that's not what's normative in, in the Christian Bible. And yet, it is not inconsistent to say that, that you can live a perfectly fulfilled uh, Christian life, and you should think very carefully about marriage in, in certain contexts that he'll get into, and that singleness is not uh, somehow a loss. It is not somehow you, that you're living some half-life. You, want, you don't have half the Holy Spirit. You don't have half the image of God. You are fully a part of the kingdom of God and, in fact, may be in a unique situation to be a blessing in a way you wouldn't otherwise be. It may not be what is normative. It may always be a minority in the world or in a community, um, but it doesn't mean that you, you've done something wrong or that you're doing something wrong or that you are wrong. And so as we go through this, just, just keep that in mind. Um, that that this would have been awkward for them the way it would be awkward for us. And I'm going to skip down to verse 25 through verse 38. Maybe I'll just go ahead and read through uh, and comment at the end because uh, I could easily take your whole day. I don't want to do that. Uh, I've got like 20 hours a week with students. I've only got one here, half of one here, so let's let's get it going. Uh, he says this starting in verse 25. Uh, now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord. This is what I was talking about earlier. He said, it's, this is one of those unique situations. I'm just going to provide some wisdom um, based on some principles of what we know from God's word. But I give judgment as one uh, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And don't read him saying a man is somehow ignoring that there are women in, in the church too. Uh, it wasn't as Women would have heard this and say, "He's talking to me." They they wouldn't have seen it as somehow being left out. Um, And just keep that in mind. It's it's an old book. They they um, if if he had been aware of the sensitivities of today, he would have made a comment on it. I'm guarantee it. Um, But he says, because of this present crisis, they were going through a lot in Corinth. There was there was a there was oppression. There was um, think about what Christians in Syria might be going through, Christians in Russia, Christians in Ukraine, Christians in Afghanistan they're there. What would, How would you think about starting a family in such a context? He's saying we've got to think carefully about how to best use our time. And, and so he'll get into the weeds here. So just, just kind of pull yourself into their context before we think about what it means for us. That's a good interpretation. Are you pledged to a woman? Are you pledged to be married? He says, do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. He's kind of saying it's time to circle the wagons, so to speak. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a a virgin marries, you know, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Okay, so he's speaking contextually. Again, he's made it clear, I'm not making a policy. I'm dealing with person by person right now. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. And while what he's saying here is true at all times, again, when you think of those contexts where kind of the heat is on, right, where the pressure particularly on on Christians uh, is is on in in a severe way, uh, that he, he's trying to remind everybody, as much as we always need to remember the temporary life we have here, um, whenever the heat is on, you got to think real hard about what's the gospel kingdom focus in your life and what is the best way to utilize the time you have. For some of you, it will be marriage. He's not saying no. But for some of you, maybe think a little bit harder about the opportunities that singleness would provide. And that's so countercultural, Right? Now notice he's speaking in a generic way. It's not like how somehow every single person is like the pinnacle of godliness, right? Um, but he's saying is the opportunity for certain kinds of godliness are available in, in these unique situations. And another thing, uh, just if you're single, whether for chosen or unchosen reasons, or because of never having been married, or because of loss, you're acknowledged in Scripture, and your are full membership and, and ability to participate in the kingdom of God is recognized in scripture. Don't feel lost in a, in a married world. You are part of a married world because at the end of the day, marriage is temporary too. And we're all part of the grand marriage with Christ and the church. And that's what all marriage points to anyway. And everyone in every condition and situation is part of that. And so as he's speaking here, just keep that in mind and that the overall thesis, the overall point that he's making is we have to think hard about what the output of our life is into his kingdom, whatever our station in life. And he goes on in verse 35 and says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Of course, married people can do that too, right? It just adds complexity, adds complexity. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to and his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. Any, anyone should do as they want if they are in that situation. He's being clear that he's not making a policy against marriage. He is not sinning. They should, not, uh, they should get married. Um, here in verse 36. Then in verse 37, he says, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will. Imagine that. Is that even possible? They would ask. My students literally ask me this. That, how is that even possible? Like, Let's talk about that. And who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin. This man has, has also done uh, the right thing. And then he kind of ends with an emphasis in this section. In verse 38, he says, So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. Sounds kind of a, like a, higher, a spiritual hierarchy. Um, what he's saying is he's done the harder thing. right? He's done the harder thing in this present crisis has done the harder thing, and he's trying to make sure that that is honored. And I, you know, as someone who got, wasn't married until I was in my late 20s, I remember, you know, the kind of comments that would get made, you know, what's wrong with you?" I was like, "Well, I didn't know that anything was, but thank you. Thank you. For, you know, uh, At least I have at least I don't have the emotional intelligence of a Python. I appreciate that, yeah. Um, at least I have my manners. Uh, and we want to avoid that, right? We don't want to act like that. I mean, some people maybe have done something that has set themselves up in a certain way, but we don't want to assume those things. I love how Paul's able just to go right at it. I want to make a few points. First of all, that singleness does not equal isolation. That's really what's, that's what's at stake when it comes to being an image bearer of God. Uh, and if I can get deep with you for a second. Uh, I don't even know what time it is. I'm not going to look. Um, there's no there's no class bell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relish it. Uh, in the beginning, uh, in Genesis, we get a front row seat to what it means to be made in the image of God. And it's easy to take chapter 2 where, you know, he, God looks in chapter 218 and, he, and the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And it's easy to say, well, somehow the image of God is incomplete in us if we are not married. And we have to be careful to take a step back and say, of course it's about marriage, but it's also the first relationship of any kind. It's the first friendship. It's the first human community. And what's happening with with Adam and Eve in this context is kind of pregnant with all of that. It's not just marriage. And so what it means to be living as an image bearer of God created in his image. And again, I'm going to get deep with you that he is a a God of three persons in one being. Right? My, my Muslim friends hate this. They think we're blasphemers because we teach that the Trinity, God the, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father, as one being. It's a, it's a mystery. But part of being made in the image of a Trinitarian God is you're made in the image of a community. It doesn't mean that you can't experience that community uh, with, without being married. It means you can't experience it in isolation. And so what is that, what's at stake uh, for us is just to remember that we're, we're made for community community especially with other believers and, and for many of us perhaps most that's going to be expressed in a unique way in marriage but for all of us um, marriage in general we, we worship God through that through our participation in, in the marriage of others uh, I knew as a single person for a long time I got to a place where I'm like you know marriage in general is about my holiness not just my happiness and so I started to celebrate the marriages around me and participate in whatever way uh, I could to see them be successful And what happened to me? Of course, I learned a ton from that. I I felt like I was becoming uh, the right person for marriage instead of seeking the right person to marry. And even if I didn't get married, that was going to be good and healthy for me, uh, no matter what the outcome was. And, of course, Paul modeled that. Jesus modeled that. So many leaders throughout Scripture and even today uh, model that. Um, And so... Uh, I want to I want to emphasize that it's a, it's not singleness is not a sin. It's isolation is the issue. Next, I want to focus on Paul's word about this present crisis, where he emphasizes wisdom and self control. And again, I, I, I wish I could have focused all com- completely on this. Because I think about my students, especially with um, Hong Kong's interesting in that it's got both Eastern and Western culture. And so you're dealing with all the, the paganism, but you're also dealing with all the secularism. The students are influenced by both. And part of that is, is definitely the, 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 the gender identity and trans identity, and all of those are represented in my classes. Imagine the landmines I'm able to walk over in that, and yet somehow we make a good connection, and, and they respect and love me, and they know I respect and love them. And uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24. He said, I have the right to do anything... You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I just want to emphasize wisdom and and self-control. And that is a lost art, lost science, lost everything in our culture, the idea that self-control would equal that. And whenever you find someone, especially someone who's come out of that lifestyle, who's living a chosen single life, as there are many, probably our greatest apologists today will be people who've left that lifestyle and are now living either in a, in a, a, a God-blessed uh, heterosexual marriage, or uh, as single people. I think of Sam Albury, I think of um, several people who've written books, uh, uh, Rosia, Rosaria Butterfield who writes for the Gospel Coalition coming out of a lesbian lifestyle Rebecca McLaughlin uh, PhD from Cambridge in literature writing about uh, her life now married with kids um, these are some people who modeled that so well and I just I buy their books and hand them out like candy to our students and and it's, it's crazy to them to think that choosing to have self-control would make you happier than giving in to your appetites um, and so uh, those who who practice that that singleness, especially that celibacy, are such a blessing, and so we need you desperately in this age. Lastly, singleness in our society. Um, something when I was in high school, um, I spent. Uh, I was married late, partly by choice. I spent some time reflecting on this verse in in a myriad of ways. I, I contemplated becoming a monk. Uh, I do not have the gift of celibacy. I've realized that. And so I started this journey of at least being the right person to be married. And this was a passage that stuck out to me that that Paul shares with Timothy. Um, And in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And as I read that, I, I felt like, you know, I've got three younger sisters. And I said, I don't... I don't know what the outcome of, of my life will be, but in every relationship I have, I want it to be godly. And so I started with all my relationships. And when I worked in tech in Portland, you can imagine how people would look at me when I'd be like, I'm going to treat you like a brother or to the ladies, I'm going to treat you. I don't want you to know I'm going to treat you like a sister. I don't view you as an object. And I'm like, who are you? You know what you're talking about? I was like, I don't know either, you know, uh, but I'm, this is, this is what I feel called by God to do. And, uh, you know, you're like a unicorn when you act that way no matter what station of life you're in you can do that and you're going you're gonna to bless people and you're going to find godliness and you're going to find joy and happiness I found joy and happiness in that and by the grace of God brought me an amazing wife that is I'll, I'll never understand um, and so I, I pray that joy and happiness for all of you and if you're single to your dying day you're not, you, there's nothing wrong with you um, and you've got a place here and actually we need you desperately all right uh, I want to pray. Um, as I pray, uh, the worship team will come out. But if you need prayer, uh, I understand we've got these, um, these kneelers down here. If you need prayer, come forward. I know there will be a couple of the pastors. Uh, I think I'll stay, stick around too. Uh, feel free to come up and re- receive prayer as they play. Um, and, again, thank you so much for letting me share uh, and for dealing with all the emotions. I'm not in my normal, my normal self, but I'm home. So I can, I can be myself. Thank you. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for um, all the varieties and complexities of life that you reach into, that you redeem, uh, that you bless, uh, that you redirect, um, that you can draw straight lines with broken sticks, that you can do anything. you can do all things with your power, with your mercy. Um, Lord, you, you gave us uh, through you, your being created in your image immense power of choice. And we have taken that choice and abused it in every which way, as a people and as individuals. By nature and by choice, we have turned to sin, and yet you sent your Son. Instead of condemning us, as you have every right to do, you have sent your Son to save us. uh, And we can see redemption out of the the worst of scenarios. Paul himself is a murderer, yet coming through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write uh, so much of the New Testament to speak to us as he does today. Lord, we have that same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired your word, that rose Jesus from the dead, uh, that, that uh, rules uh, and, and reigns uh, on earth now in the face of such great evil. Uh, help us to live in that reality, that we would believe that, that you're greater than he who is in the world, uh, that no enemy can overcome us. And whatever we're facing today, whatever identity crisis, uh, whatever confusion, uh, that we're not broken beyond repair, that we're not lost beyond finding. Uh, that we are not beyond redemption, uh, that we ask that uh, you would speak to all of us and uh, however um, we need it, uh, that just as Paul spoke to his people and yet can speak to us, that you're speaking to all people at all times in all the ways that we need it. Give us the ears to hear, and we ask that uh, you would bring uh, the needed healing uh, in every life today. We thank you so much for those uh, who, who have undivided attention uh, on you that serve in so many ways. Uh, whether married or unmarried or widowed or remarried or whatever the situation may be. Uh, we just ask that, I ask that you would continue to bless uh, all the, the people, the families, and uh, and that you would continue to, to make this church a light and a dark world. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.